This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So a man named Cliff Young did not look like your typical ultra-marathoner. Actually, the 61-year-old potato farmer from Australia had never entered a marathon. So when he lined up for the Australian ultra-marathon, a 544-mile run from Sydney to Melbourne, people wondered what this old guy was doing in the lineup. And when he started to run, he had this really unusual running style, which I will demonstrate for you because COVID's so hard and you need a good laugh, okay? So he actually had this running style like this. He kind of ran like this with the arms really low, and uh, that's, that's how he ran. So he fell way behind on the first day. By the end of the first day, he was hopelessly behind. But at the end of each day of this about six-day race, everybody stops to sleep for six hours. Cliff never stopped. He just kept running and running and running. He never slept. He just, he said later on, he said, I grew up on a 2,000-acre farm with 2,000 sheep, and sometimes for three days in a row, I would stay up chasing the sheep in gumboots and overalls. So I can do this. He finished the race and won the race 10 hours ahead of the second-place finisher. Now, in light of our gospel reading, in light of COVID, I would just like to adopt him. He's not really a saint, but our patron saint of this gospel text. Now, Cliff, I found in Google searches, he's often used in business and consulting and motivational speeches, which almost ruined the illustration for me, but I'm going to use it anyway, and I'm going to have a much more modest point to make about Cliff, much more humble, that Cliff is the example and model of what Jesus is talking about in this parable. You notice two times in the middle of this parable, he refers to who I'm going to call Mr. Five Talent and Mr. Two Talent as good and faithful servants. And then he says, you've been faithful over a little. The word faithful is used four times packed in the middle of the parable. That seems to be the, the key thing that Jesus is saying. And, and notice he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say good and flashy or good and extraordinary or good and amazing or good and epic, but just good and faithful. I want us to hunger for the life that Jesus is calling us to. It is an ordinary life. But we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. We can't do it by ourselves, but this is a beautiful life, a blessed by God life. And I want us to hunger for this life. So Matthew 25 is in a section in the Gospel of Matthew that actually begins in chapter 24, and it begins in chapter 24 with Jesus is saying, and he, and he says it all over, all over and over again, he said, hard times are coming. Last week, Pastor Will said, there's going to prepare for the, dark, the long night. Get ready for a long night. And Jesus is saying, there's going to be a long night, and it's going to be hard, and there's going to be some suffering, and there's going to be some persecution. And, and Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, many will fall away, and false prophets will arise, and they will lead many astray. 
And then he says in this chilling verse, I find it very chilling anyway, he says, and the love of many will grow cold. That's like, ah. The more we talk about love in our culture, the less loving we seem to be to each other. The love of many will grow cold. And then at the end of chapter 25, verse 13, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch, stay awake, be alert. And then boom, he goes into this parable. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So in this parable, obviously, this man is God the Father. And Jesus is God the Son who's standing here telling this story about God the Father. Here's the Trinity at work. And he gives to one five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability. Now, a talent is, was the largest unit of currency in Jesus' day, and they, it's estimated it was worth basically a lifetime's worth of wages. So five talents was like, think of that, like five times about what you're going to make in a lifetime. Two times. Even the one-talent guy has a lot. It's, it's extraordinary. It's lavish. It's surprising. Now, I read a lot of commentaries, and some people say, well, Jesus is just talking about money. He's talking about our financial resources. Or some people say, like to say, no, he's talking about, like, talents, like talents the way we use talents today. Like, you have a talent for painting, or you have a talent for playing soccer, or you have a pa- talent for starting businesses. And I'd like to just back up all the way and just say that it's, it, it's everything. It's your life. It's existence itself. It's you. It's your whole life journey. As we say in our prayer book, it's God's creation and preservation and redemption of you. Think of this way. You are gifted. You are incredibly gifted. You're special. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Think of, think of the, your body. Scientists have estimated that you have 37.2 trillion cells in your body, give or take a few billion. <clears throat> Each and every one of those cells is like a little mini manufacturing plant, producing things, getting rid of waste, distributing things. You have 100 billion brain cells that sends electrical impulses at 200 miles per hour. It allows you to see me, to think, to process. Allowed you to get here today. You have a heart beating in your chest. It's the size of an orange. That heart will go through an estimated two and a half billion cycles in your lifetime. Your valves in your heart will open and shut 4,000 times an hour. And you do not need maintenance. If you take good care of it, it could last for 80, 90 years. You live in a universe perfectly designed for life, so designed for life that some cosmologists call it the Goldilocks effect. It's just right. It's finely tuned. You didn't earn any of this. You are entrusted with this. So you look in the mirror and you might say, I'm pretty good looking. You take a test and you do well, I'm pretty smart. You look in your bank account and you go, wow. I'm pretty successful. Sure, maybe you worked at it, but who gave you the brain cells? Who gave you the, the, the heart beating in your chest? Who put you in this universe? You're entrusted with it. Jesus was even, when he talked about our redemption, when the Bible talks about our redemption, it's even better. 
You have been lavished with grace through Jesus our Lord. You're standing in grace. If you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. You're filled with the Spirit. Spirit, you're united with the risen Christ. What's the first thing you learn about God the Father in this parable? He is a giver, a lavish, generous, creative giver. And what's the first thing you learn about yourself? You're a receiver, a recipient. God's grace always precedes our efforts. But the story does not stop there. The story, Jesus is trying to get us, our whole being, to think about a question. Now that you have received lavishly from the giver, how are you going to live your life? Now that you have been entrusted, given all these gifts that you have, how will you then live? So first we look at Mr. Five Talent and Mr. Two Talent. And the first thing you see is that receptivity leads to responsibility. Privileges lead to duties. Life is short. And these two guys are going to live it for the master. They're going to faithfully run the race that he sets before them. They're going to get things to grow. The, the word more is a really important word in this passage. More, more. They want fruit. Deep within them, they say yes to God. Yes. Yes, I will take these gifts, and I will use them for you. Because I'm a steward. And then in verse 19, we read that the master comes to settle accounts. Talking about Judgment Day, and the Bible's really clear that there is a day coming that will be a Judgment Day when we will stand before Almighty God and everything will become clear. And He will ask us, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? What did you do with the things I entrusted to you? Notice the Master does not say, you were really busy. I appreciate that. You were really impactful. You were, lived an epic life. You were great. You were amazing. You were extraordinary. You were above average. He says, you were faithful, good and faithful servant. And he says, you were faithful over a little. That's all we ever have. You know the most powerful man in the world? He's got a little. The richest woman in the world, he's got a little. You, with all your gifts and opportunities and dreams and abilities and responsibilities, you're over a little. Now, it might feel like a lot for you, it might feel overwhelming, but it's a little. There's a quote from uh, Wendell Berry, his novel, Jaber Crow, the main character, Jaber Crow. He lives in this little town called Port William, and he lives his life as a, as a barber. Everybody wanted him to be a preacher, but he felt called to be a barber. So he sets up shop, and he's a barber. And he lives his whole life in Port William, basically. And it, Jaber says, how many invisible, nameless, powerless, little places or people are there in this world? All the world, as a matter of fact, is a mosaic of little places and little people invisible to the powers that be. Jesus finds something desirable about that, something extraordinary about the ordinary, something big 
about the little. You know, COVID makes it really hard to be spectacular, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know very many people that are doing spectacularly in COVID. They're like living the dream in COVID. Around the globe, I'm talking about. But you can be faithful. Jesus offers a faithful life. And he says, stay awake to this. Stay alert to this. Don't grow weary of this. So that's Mr. Five Talent and Mr. Two Talent. Then we come to Mr. One Talent. And, you know, if you're like me, you're reading this story, it's like, oh, come on, give the guy a break. He only gets one talent. Well, remember what a talent is? It's a lifetime's worth of wages. This guy's still, he's still, he's doing very well. And let us remember the sovereignty of God. This is a good place to remember the sovereignty of God, that God chooses how he apportions gifts to each and every one of us as a good father. 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about spiritual gifts, it says that God, has a, through the Holy Spirit, has a, a portion to each of us as he wills. And who are you to say what a one-talent person is and what a five-talent person is? In God's eyes, things might be flipped. Who knows? I remember a couple years ago, I was packed into this little tiny church in the western highlands of Papua New Guinea. There was about 80 people packed into a room that would be the size of, uh, of a large master bedroom in our communities. All packed in there, seated on the floor. This old woman stood up and she gave this testimony which somebody's translated to me. And, and she was saying, I have cancer. I have three months to live. The doctors have told me I'm going to die. She says, I'm praying for healing. But if I don't get healed, I'm going to go to be with Jesus. Either way, I am filled with joy and gratitude for my life. I'm thinking, is she a one-talent Christian or is she a five-talent Christian? I don't know. I can say that you and I have exactly the gifts that our loving Heavenly Father wants us to have. Isn't that good? So Mr. One-Talent gives his sad little speech. He comes forward and he says, Master, verse 24, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. There's Mr. One Talent. He doesn't see God as a giver. He sees God as a taker. God is just hard, unfair, unreasonable. You're such a hard man. My life is so hard. He's a victim. It hasn't gone my way. According to Luke's version of the same story, this man says, here's yours which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. How touching. I wrapped it in a handkerchief for you to keep it safe so it wouldn't get dirty. I was so careful. Really, he should be saying, in this little passive-aggressive speech, I have not paid attention to you. I have 
not live my life of gratitude to the giver. I have not increased what you've given me. I've been resentful that things haven't gone my way. I've been lived as a victim, not as talented, but ta-da! Here it is. At least I didn't lose it. It's the best I could do. Now, lest you feel sorry for him, the master, Jesus says, gets to the heart of his problem. In the next verse, he calls him a wicked and slothful servant. The word slothful is really key there because the church has a long history of talking about sloth. It's one of the seven deadly sins. It's often considered like if you ranked them, pride would be number one. Sloth could be easily ranked number two. And it doesn't mean lazy. It doesn't mean that you're not busy. It doesn't mean that you're not really achieving things. The church has understood sloth as a refusal to put energy into knowing and loving God and his ways. It's, instead of a big yes, it's a big no. I will have no delight. I will have no appetite for. I will put no effort into my spiritual growth. Sloth is a spiritual disease in which we no longer hunger for godly things. So I just want to be clear, it's, it's very different than like depression. Because some of you might be struggling with depression through this time. And I just want to give a word of hope. I want to give a word of good news. I want to give a good word of Emmanuel. Jesus, God is with you if you're struggling with depression. Sloth is an act of the will. It's not in our brain chemistry. It's not uh, something, uh, just an overwhelming sense of sadness. It's an act of the will to no longer hunger or put effort into spiritual things. Mr. One Talent has the disease, and he wallows in it. And notice, it does not end well. So this parable, Jesus says, so take the talent, in verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Whew, that's harsh. But is it though? Isn't that the way life works? Use it or lose it. If you don't use a muscle, what happens to it? It atrophies, it weakens. God is looking for partners. He's looking for co-workers. He's looking for fishers of men and women. And if someone doesn't want the job, he's going to go to somebody else. We've seen this happening throughout the last 30, 40, 50 years. We've seen it happening around the globe. If the Western world, with all of our riches and opportunities and economic successes, if we don't want to spread the gospel, God will go to the global south, where the gospel is exploding. Now, it doesn't mean that God's given up on us entirely. Please don't hear me saying that. But God, if we don't use muscles, they atrophy. And then verse 30, and cast the worthless service servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
This is the same Jesus who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said both of these statements. Both are part of his character. What is Jesus doing here? Remember the context. He's trying to get us to wake up, to not go to sleep spiritually. It's possible to get so turned in on your own resentment or envy or sloth or lust or anger that it skews how we see reality. It distorts how we see the living God. We no longer see his goodness. We only see what we don't have. We no longer live with gratitude for the life that's been given to me. We live with resentment, wish we had somebody else's life. And we can miss the glorious life that Jesus has given to us. So here he is giving an opportunity to repent before it's too late. He is the friend of sinners. And so if you're stuck in sin, he is fighting for you this morning. And I just want to say, sometimes this morning, just tell him, Lord, Lord Jesus, I've grown slothful. Lord Jesus, I've grown ungrateful. Lord Jesus, my view of reality is skewed. I've become like the one, Mr. One Talent. He'll take you. He'll work with that. And he gives us something so much better than slothfulness. It's a life of faithfulness. So let me ask you this morning, what is your little? Don't despise your little. Don't run past your little. What is your little? You know, the Lord may call some of you to something really amazing, something radical, something uh, extraordinary generosity, extraordinary sacrifices, extraordinary calling. We have people going out from our church, even in COVID, we have like six to eight young adults that are going to places like the Middle East or Asia where there is no gospel wit witness. That's pretty extraordinary. But your little might be more modest. It might be invisible to the powers that be. I remember in the second church I pastored in Minnesota, there was a guy named Alan. Alan Anderson showed up every Sunday morning, sat exactly in the front row, exactly in the same place, was there 10 minutes early every time, had a nice suit and tie on, and he came and he sang the hymns lustily, as we say in our Wesleyan tradition. He uh, recited the creed. He was always off. He was always, his timing was off. His pitch was off. He's a guy, a young guy with Down syndrome. He always came with $1 to put in the offering plate. But he was ready. He had said yes. I love Alan. He's like, I'm ready for whatever you have for me, Lord. I'll say yes. Jesus wants us to be that kind of talent Christian. You know, I've found myself doing this a lot. I think about if I can just make it through shelter in place, if I can just make it through the winter, if I can just make it till there's a vaccine, if I can just not get it, or if I get it, get through it, 
And Jesus said, no, I want you to think, I want you to think way beyond that. I want you to think eschatologically. I want you to think the end of time. I want you to look forward to those words, enter into the joy of your master. When you get to the end of the race and you're, you're tired and you're ragged and you've borne a lot of sorrows and you've had setbacks and you had joys and you have successes and you've fallen down and you've scraped your knees and your elbows and you feel old because maybe you are old. And then you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Will anything else matter at that point? Will any other voice matter? Will any achievement matter? Jesus is saying, I want you to look for that. I want you to long for it. I want you to wait for it. I want you to love it. I want you to hope for it. I was just struck um, by our first scripture reading. For God has not destined us for wrath. Where are you headed in Christ Jesus? He's not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's where we're headed in Christ. Be faithful over a little until that day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.